This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Sunday, June 12, 2022, and welcome to the 18th episode in this series from Midas Touch and 5-Minute News called The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. Download the show as audio in addition to my daily 5-Minute News podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is founder of Muller She Wrote and the Daily Beans podcast, Dr. Alison Gill. Alison, hi. Hi. Welcome hi, to The Weekend Show. Uh, you're in you're in uh, uh, California unusually today. Is that right? Yes. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm based in San Diego, but I'm up in Los Angeles today. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're in a, we're in a similar time zone, which kind of makes a change for this show. Normally people are kind of all over the all over the country uh, and I'm a bit jet lagged myself. So we're going to we're going to kind of steam through some of the big stories of the week. It's an exciting week because obviously the January 6th committee are finally going to be putting their um public trial out on on primetime television. It's kind of uh, something that I believe probably should have started at the very beginning of this rather than, you know, waiting all of this time. I would have watched this in the same way that people watched the Michael Jackson trial or the O.J. Simpson trial. You know, this is this is certainly something that is in the public interest, probably more so than those two examples. So, um, uh, Thursday night is when it all kicked off on uh, in prime time. How important is it for us to see what the January 6th committee are doing? Well, I think when you say how important is it for us, um, I, who is us, right? Because for, for folks like you and I who follow this stuff very closely, these hearings aren't for us. I think these hearings are for, you know, John Doe on 123 Happy Street, American Citizen Avenue, Uh, who doesn't have any idea who Roger Stone is, for example. And so I think what would please folks like myself and and pundits and wonks who are into this would be deep dives into the details, kinds of things that we would see in speaking indictments. And I don't think we're going to get that. And I think that um, aside from a lot of members of the Republican Party, trying to put out their own disinformation and opposition campaign while these hearings go on. I think there's going to be a lot of maybe unhappy or, or disenchanted Democrats who really follow this stuff closely, who who might say something like, well, why didn't you bring up Roger Stone? Why, why aren't you not talking about Alex Jones? Why aren't you, you know, talking about that? And I think it's important for people to understand who these hearings are for in what they're for, and and also that they aren't here, these hearings aren't, they don't exist to hold people criminally accountable. It's just to tell the average American what happened on January 6th and whose fault it was. Do you think the average American realizes the magnitude of the events of January 6th? I mean, because my, my concern is that 
you know, it's been rubbished by the Republicans. Obviously, they don't consider it to be a bipartisan effort. They, they talk about it as being the, you know, the, the Democrat-controlled hearing, despite Adam Kinzinger, despite um, Liz Cheney. Uh, they've effectively, you know, they refer to those as, as um, Republicans in name only, right? So that they don't really care for this. They don't want the public to know who is responsible fundamentally, because that's really what this is about, isn't it? You know, yes, they charged people with criminal damage, but fundamentally, we need to know whose idea this was, who organized it, and hopefully let's see them prosecuted. But this is fundamentally about American democracy going forward, isn't it? And, and, and Republicans just try to delegitimize this entire committee. Yeah, and they're having a hard time doing that, too. Uh, at one point in the courts, there have been multiple occasions where January 6th defendants are trying to question the legitimacy of the court uh, and also people who, uh, who the Department of Justice are trying to get documents from questioning the legitimacy of the January 6th committee. Did I say of the court? I meant of the January 6th committee. Um, and, and going back as far as as we remember when this committee was, was formed, it, McCarthy was able to put forward five people and Nancy Pelosi said, no, 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 we can't have actual fascists, insurrectionists on the committee. That would be a bad thing. So you can't have, you know, Jim Jordan, you can't have Jim Banks. And instead of picking a few new people to be on the committee, McCarthy did whatever Trump told him to and just picked up his toys and went home, which is a common Trump Trump trick, by the way, to just pick up your toys, smash them and leave. Um, and so, you know, now they're arguing, well, we didn't even get a chance. No, they had every single chance to put legitimate Republicans that they, you know, when I say that, I mean what they, what they would consider legitimate Republicans on, on the committee, and they didn't. So it was, up to, it was up to Nancy Pelosi to make sure that it was a bipartisan committee, and every single court has upheld that it is a, a legit committee under, under 503, Resolution 503, under the rules uh, of of um, of the house and and that it, it can go forward and it it is a legitimate thing they have a legitimate le- legislative purpose so they will howl uh, about this but no to answer your question your first question I don't think most Americans understand the how close we came to losing our democracy on that day how many different systems how many points had to hold in order for us to keep our democracy that day. And that is what the job of this committee is, is to show everyday Americans just how close we came to Donald Trump stealing the White House, installing himself as president with the help of a massive hub and spoke conspiracy. And I think that that is a, that's a hard job, especially you know when we have a thousand, over a thousand witnesses uh, in in just over a year, Mueller and had 500 witnesses in twice the time, and it was still a 500-page report that came out. So to put all this together is is going to be a gargantuan task, and I and I I'd like to think that Jamie Raskin, Adam Schiff, the 40 or so former Department of Justice, former U.S. prosecutors, people like Tim Heafy, are up to the task. But you know, we will see. We think of people like Adam Schiff and Jamie Raskin as being, you know, heroes. And um, they're both great lawyers outside of, you know, being uh, politicians. 
But if you were to watch Fox News, which I do because it's important to see everything and, and, and you know, operate outside of your echo chamber, these people, you know, Shifty Schiff and the like, you know, these people have been undermined so much by right-wing media and Donald Trump himself, who hates Adam Schiff, as you know, because of, uh, you know, he was in charge of his um, impeachment trial. So, or one of his impeachment trials. <laughs> it's just crazy that there was two. Um, you know, these people are illegitimate as far as, you know, if we, if we think that they think that Kinzinger and Cheney are illegitimate, think how illegitimate Raskin and Schiff are. I mean, these people don't hold water as far as most Republicans are concerned. So my fear is, and I'm sure you share a similar, but I'm keen to hear, in the same way that Bill Barr got up and paraphrased the Mueller report in a press conference the morning that it was being released and rewrote the report, you know, in words to give Trump the excuse that he was not guilty. And, you know, he famously held up that newspaper saying that he'd kind of been exonerated. Um, could that happen here? You know, will the Republicans just turn around after these public hearings and just go, well, the whole thing is a sham and just rewrite history in a press conference? Well, they will definitely try to do that. 100% that they'll they'll be they'll be trying to do that. They we've already seen memos that they're putting together in opposition of of these hearings that are just absolutely full of falsehoods. I think probably what's good about this though is that well first of all those super diehard Trump supporters are, aren't the people again that's that's not who the hearings are for, right? They're not going to change those minds. People who have their du heels dug in on certain sides aren't changing their minds over this. But when you have folks like Tim Heafy doing the questioning instead of Adam Schiff, uh, people who the uh, Americans, you know, and Moss aren't going to recognize and, and immediately have negative feelings about if they happen to be Republican. And, and I think that there's a difference between, I hope there's a difference between a, like an attorney general putting out that disinformation and like Tucker Carlson. Right. At least to to the average American, maybe not necessarily to the ultra MAGA, as as Joe Biden, President Biden calls them. But I think to the average American, they can make that distinction, hopefully. It's it's very interesting to me as a as a British person living in America, seeing the only way you really kind of cut through to the average American is to kind of put this show on instead of home improvement, <laughs> you know, just to, to make sure that it's just you know, on that kind of Thursday night primetime, CBS, ABC, NBC, just to make sure that they're all, it's all being carried. I mean, what, why has it been so difficult to kind of press home the importance of this these hearings, but also the, this investigation in, in, in its entirety to the average American? Because, you know, as far as I can see, most people kind of think it's business as usual. And I'm running around thinking, you know, America is over. The experiment has failed. And, and yet everyone's just going about their business. Well, we're a, we're a celebrity-obsessed uh, culture. Um, it, it, it's evident. I mean, if, you know, when I, I remember when Childish Gambino put out his video for This Is America, that was one of the messages at the forefront of that, right? And I think that that is, and, and, you know, in some, in some instances, I'm not trying to be generational, you know, I'm not trying to, to say that this is a specific generation. This is, this goes across all generations. We've just become more focused on, on 
those kinds of dramatic things. And and right or wrong or good or bad, I mean, we could spend hours talking about whether we think that's good for a society or bad for a society. That's where you have to find society when you want to talk about things like this. And that's why Donald Trump did so well with certain groups of people because he's, he was on television, you know, and, and we need to take a good look, I think, at ourselves as far as our politics are concerned and either because are we going to really pull back to the days where people cared about stuff like Watergate hearings or are we going to have to adapt to to what to where society is moving it's a kind of a chicken and an egg thing too like does one feed the other and so i mean we we are where we are um and you know we just that's that's i think why they brought in uh, a producer of crime shows to help put on these hearings is because they're like, look, we got to reach the people where they are. We got to, we've got to get them interested. That's why I did the Mueller podcast as a comedian with swearing was so that, because that, that Mueller report was a snoozer, man, (laughs) you know, but if, but if we make it funny and entertaining and we, we, we bring it, you know, we bring it down into bite-sized, digestible bits that people can understand. And that's that's how we reach people. That's where we find people. That was what was clever about uh, Bill Barr's behavior as the attorney general at the time when he paraphrased it and rewrote it. He knew that nobody had read it. He knew that that it was it was not a page turner. He probably hadn't even read it himself. <laughs> but I just get I just get a sense that, you know. I, I want, you know, I, I love America. I choose to live here. But I also recognize that there are so many shortcomings in terms of it, its um, its legitimacy, you know, legally in terms of justice. And and I, I fear that there are so many opportunities to take advantage of, of the rules, just the way in which the Constitution is translated. And it you know means different things to different people and how a Second Amendment can be a, can be a semi-automatic weapon these days. I mean, things have... It's, everything is open to interpretation here, and, and, and everybody will stand by their version of events, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm reading a great book right now called Allow Me to Retort, um, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. It's Ellie Mistal's take on, on the Constitution, right. and he talks about this. He talks about how the court itself set up a system to make it seem like they were making objective balls and strikes calls when really it's it's a system that they can utilize to to wrap around whatever sort of bigoted thing they want to do that day um and it's it's a i i highly recommend everybody pick up that book but that's what that's what's going on they did it with the second amendment um with regards to uh the messaging being well we need these weapons for self-defense that's not in the constitution and they always say shall not be infringed but they never say well regulated you know it's just a very it's they point at very specific things um, but yeah, one of the great things about that book that I will recommend is it gives you great talking points to take to your Uncle Frank at Thanksgiving um, because he does this too. He finds Americans where they are. He meets them where they are and breaks these down into arguments that that you don't have to have a Yale law degree to understand. But as you know, as you know, we have people with Yale law degrees who are going out and defacing yeah. these ideas and ideals. Josh, Josh Hawley, for example. And so it's it, it, that Kennedy guy, right, who pretends to be like a hick from Mudville. Yeah. Um, and, it you know, it goes we can go back to George G.W. Bush, who was a 
a cheerleader at Yale. He went to Andover Prep, but he was like, I'm a cowboy. So it's interesting the, that sort of the, how, how that has all taken shape, how those politics have taken shape and, and trying to, you know, some people trying to reach Americans where they are, other trying to, others trying to manipulate them where they are. Let's talk for a second about how people have changed their story. Uh, I'm thinking about Kevin McCarthy and Ted Cruz, people who the day of and the day after the insurrection said all of the right things, didn't they? They, they, you know, Ted Cruz referred to it as as terrorists, right? And he uh, and McCarthy, you know, it's all on tape. I mean, this is the crazy thing. All of this stuff is recorded of what they said, uh, you know, up in Congress and in the Senate. And now, and then they all one by one go and meet with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. They have a they have a meeting, and then within a few days, their story is completely different, and they've turned on their heels. What do you think he has over them, and and how is it possible that people in such responsible positions can completely turn on a dime when it comes to the most important subject in American political history? That's what I don't get either. Uh, going back to Lindsey Graham on the golf course, from changing from Trump's a kook, we're going to lose our democracy if we elect him, to yeah. being one of his biggest supporters after after spending after spending uh, some time on the links, and I was like, what is it? And you know, I keep thinking back to to things like, well, you know, when when the DNC and the DCCC were hacked by Russia, so was the RNC, and those emails were never weaponized for public use. So I'm wondering if maybe it's something like that. There's some sort of compromise. I mean, Trump, he operates like a mafia boss, right? Kind of a stupid mafia, but still a mafia boss. Uh, Is it that? Is it something that concrete? Or is it just this abstract fear that if Donald Trump doesn't like you, you could lose your reelection? You could, I think... That's why it's interesting what's going on in Georgia right now with Kemp and Raffensperger winning. Uh, And we're seeing people who Trump absolutely hates. We're seeing voters not care about that particular thing. But obviously it's way too late for for people like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy to change their tune again back to what it was originally when we recorded them saying that that 1-6 was a tragedy. But the fact that Trump hates Brad Raffensperger is proof <laughs> that he tried to overturn the election because Brad Raffensperger stood up to him and refused to try and find one more vote more than they already had. I mean, there's so much evidence, just obvious stuff to suggest that Trump is the mastermind of this entire bid to overturn the election. And yet I fear that all of this will fail in the courts and Trump, another rich white guy, is going to walk free. Well, there's two levels of that, right? Will the DOJ fail or will the courts fail or both or neither? What I need to make sure happens is the department, well, it's not my job, but what I would prefer that I see happen is the Department of Justice do their job because we, we have evidence in the public sphere that Donald Trump and John Eastman, for example, violated at least two federal criminal laws. And that's obstructing an official proceeding, 1512C2, and 371, which is the uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States. We have that evidence in the public. We've seen it all written up. A judge has said as much by a preponderance of the evidence these crimes occurred. So what I think is the Department of Justice, if they do not 
prosecute, if they decline to prosecute Donald Trump or John Eastman for this particular huge conspiracy, then that means they did so because of what's called prosecutorial discretion, which means they thought it's politically bad or it could cause violence or the risks don't outweigh the benefits or it's just not the right, you know, whatever it is, it's it's some subjective reason, not But it based. will be all of those, won't it? It'll be all of those because could you could be. argue that they, it will cause violence and some have said it could cause a, a civil war. And because, you know, fundamentally, the, the Republicans, many of whom, including Kevin McCarthy, refuse to accept that Biden is the legitimate president. And despite everything that's gone on and all of the cases in court that have been uh, thrown out because there's just no evidence to support Donald Trump's case, that they are sticking with this thing called the big lie, which they've weaponized as well. You know, they're kind of switching the big lie around and saying the big lie is that Democrats are lying about the fact that we we lost the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think the Department of Justice should meet the moment and say that the the benefits of holding people accountable outweigh the risks. Uh, I don't like the idea of not going after someone because you're scared of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of undermines the whole no one's above the law, especially at this moment in history, which is replete with important, important points. Now, the, the second part of that equation, though, because the DOJ might say, you know what, we could bring charges, but you know we're worried that we won't win. And if we do bring a charge against Trump and he's acquitted in court, we're, we're toast. Right. But what's worse, not bringing the charge or bringing it and having him acquitted. And that's up to the courts and the jury. Right. And so the way I see it is I think it's incredibly important for the Department of Justice to bring charges if they have the evidence, which I think they do beyond a reasonable doubt. They can prove it and obtain and sustain a conviction if they believe they can do that based on the evidence, the facts and the law, which they continue to say they will follow wherever they may lead. If they have that, they need to indict. They need to prosecute, um, regardless of how a court or a jury might act. And that's what you, I think what you were saying, your fear is that the that the jury might be hung or there might be, you know, a mistrial and they retry and it gets overturned on appeal. I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that the Department of Justice bring the charges. That's the deterrence. Right. The, to me, that's the deterrence. And that's, I think, what hopefully they do, because I, f- I fear if they don't, then um, that that's going to be the biggest, I think, the biggest mistake in the history of the Department of Justice. So let's talk for a second about Merrick Garland and whether or not he's you know the right man right now. I mean, do you put your faith in this guy? I, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about him because I've heard him be very um humane in his thoughts and and very I think he's a, I don't think he's a bad person you know I think he's a good person I think he's on the right side of history but I also feel and of course he you know could have become a, a supreme court judge but was uh, you know blocked by by republicans I, I think I just have a very simple question which is do you you know do you put faith in this guy is is he going to close the deal or is he going to drop the ball well the thing is is that I don't think about Merrick Garland that way because he's not the one investigating. He's not the one who has to recommend and bring charges and go to court. That's Matthew Graves. That's the D.C. That's the D.C. uh, U.S. attorney. 
And he's got a great team working with him over there. Now, of course, if Matthew Graves wants to bring an indictment against Donald Trump, he will have to go to Merrick Garland and say, this is what I think. And talk Garland into it if Garland, because Garland seems to me like, a, and he's, he's testified to this under oath on many occasions. If you bring me a recommendation and it's reasonable, I'm going to sign off on it. He's not yeah. going to interfere or curtail any investigation, interfere with it or curtail any investigation. So what brings me hope about this is that Matthew Graves has already shocked me shocked me with his gravitas, if you will, because <laughs> yeah. I was saying for this whole time for like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, you know what? They're, they're not going to go for treason. They're not going to go for seditious conspiracy or insurrection. Those are so hard to prove. The last time we brought, tried to bring seditious conspiracy charges was in 20, 2010. We lost. They were all acquitted. In 1988, we lost. They were all acquitted. These are notoriously hard charges to make stick. Let's just stick with obstructing an official proceeding, 1512C2. It's way easier to prove, and it still carries a 20-year maximum sentence. So why not just go with that? But Matthew Graves said, no, nah, no, nah. these are seditious conspiracists. And, and he slapped those charges on there when he didn't have to. And because he feels, first of all, he's gutsy. And second of all, he feels that the evidence is there. He, he has to, I'm sure he's got to be so convinced, given the, the record, the track record of trying to bring seditious conspiracy charges, that he's like, no, this is a case. We have a stronger case than any of those other cases, which were really strong. And so that says to me that he has chutzpah. And that makes me think that he will indict Eastman and Trump, at least. Uh, can we can we talk about Eastman a little bit? Because I don't think people know, other than you know, he's the man in the hat. I don't think people really know who this guy is. And you know, I, I find him kind of fascinating because he's he's one of these you know unscrupulous lawyers, right? You know, because Trump was running out of decent lawyers to have work for him. People just did not want to be, they just didn't want to, you know attempt to represent him because, you know, the things he was asking for were impossible. So he ended up with a, a gallery of curios. And uh, Eastman really is one of the few lawyers who was kind of prepared to step up to the to the pulpit. I mean, he certainly did on the 6th of January and made quite a compelling speech before Donald Trump got up. So let's just talk about this guy. And if you feel that he will be on the receiving end also of a, of a seditious conspiracy charge. I do, uh, based on Judge Carter's language. But yeah, when you're, everyone's telling you, dude, you lost. There's no fraud. The Attorney General, Bill Barr is telling you that. Your, your White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, is telling you that. Every reasonable human being is telling you that. The only people you can dig up to find that would say that the election was stolen are like an overstock CEO and a pillow guy. It's like, that's <laughs> yeah. how bottom of the barrel this is. And Eastman's yeah. in that group, right? He's in that legal group. And I think what happened with this latest ruling about his emails, he's got now two emails that had to be handed over to the committee. Many, many more he had to hand over to the committee, but two that fell under the crime fraud exception. And this latest one shocked me. Not, well, hmm. It was so interesting, let's just say that, because there's an old adage in the government here in the United States that says, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. 
Meaning if you're working in the government and you want to get something done, just do it. And then we'll deal with the aftermath later. Yeah. And, and that, but that's usually for like, if you're going to get a tattoo or, you know, go take an hour long lunch, that's not like overturning the government, but that's exactly what they were doing in this email. They said, look, we, we don't, we, we should stay away from the courts. We don't want to file any lawsuits that, that challenge the electoral count act. Cause if we lose and they say Pence is bound to open and count the votes as they are. We're screw- Our whole thing is tanked. Our whole scheme is tanked because we will have gotten an answer from the courts before we try to do this. So let's just go. Let's just go do it and ho- see where the chips fall. That is intent up and down ten ways to Sunday. That you know what you're doing is illegal with these new emails in Georgia. Uh, from a Trump campaign person to the fraudulent slate of electors saying you have to do this in absolute secrecy. That shows intent. And so, yes, Eastman and the way that Judge Carter linked Eastman and Trump together like 30 times in this last ruling, he calling it Trump and Eastman's plot to overthrow the election. Trump and Eastman's plan, scheme, whatever. It's not like alleged scheme or individual one's scheme. It is by name, these two gentlemen. And so, uh, yes, I do think that Matthew Graves is going to be able to bring charges against them, at least for obstructing an official proceeding and defrauding the United States. I often think about how the world felt during the Watergate scandal. I wasn't kind of quite there, but I mean, I've read, I've read enough to know that it was, it was massive, right? This was massive. And yet there was, compared to this, <laughs> there was barely any evidence, you know. There was obviously the tapes, which obviously put, you know, Nixon in the, in the, in the, com- right in the center of the conversation. But fundamentally, here there is, we live in an electronic world now. You know, the only thing that was recording back then was in the Oval Office, whereas everywhere else now seems to be, there's a recording, there's a... There's a, a tape. It's amazing how many people were recording conversations. You know, we're starting to hear this from uh, various uh, journalists even, you know, who are putting books out and they and they go, oh, well, I happen to have a tape of this. Have a listen to this. And, and it's incredible how much recording was done, how much access to text messages we have, considering that people use encrypted messaging like WhatsApp or iMessage. Um, you know, are you telling me that people are still using cellular text message to send their messages, which can be... I'm I'm amazed. And so there is this electronic trail, not just a paper trail, but an electronic trail. I mean, this is beyond a reasonable doubt for any stupid person to see that Trump committed a a treason, effectively. He he tried to commit a fraud against the very country that had elected him as president. I'm talking about America, not Russia. So <laughs> so so how do we qualify this? I mean, this is massive. And, and I mean, it definitely warrants prime time, but it also, in my view, warrants more interest from the public at large. I think we'll see that interest when indictments happen. I think that's where we're going to get okay. the details. And, and when, when amazing um, people who host podcasts like you put it out in, in a way that's not like a Mueller report snoozer, but more like, here's the top five things that you could take yeah. away from this. And, and it's, it's very, it's interesting that you bring that up with the, with the obviousness of these crimes, right? Because what you're, what you're talking about here with January 6th, you, with Watergate, it was the cover up, Right. 
It was the obstruction. In the Mueller investigation, yeah, we had this whole huge Trump-Russia investigation, but what got him or what should have got him if we could indict a sitting president? The cover-up, the obstruction. When we're talking about 1-6, we're just talking about the original crimes, the underlying crimes. We don't know, but there is probably, and I would be willing to bet my paycheck on it, an entire investigation into people trying to obstruct the January 6th investigation, just as there was an entire investigation into obstruction for Watergate and the Mueller investigation. I don't see how it couldn't exist. And if that ends up being what people get got on, that's fine too. But you're right, the, the, the evidence of the underlying crimes is so abundant and it speaks for itself, but it's also the reason it takes so long all of these electronic trails and emails. Back then, you just got somebody's files and that's all you had to look through, paper files. But now every single back and forth, even we're talking terabytes and terabytes of information have to be reviewed. And that just takes time and man hours. And, and uh, I think that, you know, I wish that this Department of Justice, one of the things that I've complained about that Merrick Garland should have done differently is to show us that he has a sense of more set, more of a sense of urgency by, by asking for more money, more lawyers, more resources to get these things done uh, as, as quickly and as expeditiously and correctly as possible. And that sort of seemed to be missing from from. But that's so far my only complaint. We'll see. We'll see what happens, how they decide to prosecute or not. But um, so far, I'm 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 good. It's, but it is slow going. I um, feel that what was very clever about the insurrection that they they planned very carefully was creating a a, a misdirection. So by sending the MAGA people to kind of smash up the the Capitol building, that acted as a distraction from the coup, right? The coup was going on inside. The coup was going on in the state legislators. The coup was going on trying to convince Mike Pence to do Trump's bidding. So there are two very different events here. And I personally see the the violence and the mob and the riot as it's been described i see that as a as a distraction i don't actually see that as the crime and i think what's very interesting in the in the news coverage that i've seen which is obviously what most people are viewing is all this focus on the riot well the riot is irrelevant because you know i think it's more shocking it's a little bit like when the airplanes hit the twin towers you know it's very visually s- symbolic and it's very shocking to Americans to see the sacred state capitol building being attacked by people and windows smashed and Nancy Pelosi's name being ripped off the door and all that stuff. It's very symbolic. But it's not the crime. It's just criminal damage. It's really not the crime. To me, the crime is the, the president of the United States seeking to overturn the election because he doesn't believe that he lost and can't accept that he lost. Do you see it that way as I do? You know, if they're making a movie of this, this is the distraction that takes place over here so that the real business can be done over there. Um, because I, I don't care for criminal damage. I think it's, you know, you can, you can repaint, you can rebuild, but you can't rebuild a democracy once it has fallen. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. Um, I see the attack on the Capitol as one of the 20 ways that 
the the former president was trying to stop the certification of the election, whether it be the pressure, the Pence pressure campaign, fraudulent electors, uh, or or sending a mob to the Capitol to to delay it, because we know that there were phone calls from Rudy Giuliani to Tuberville, for example, like, hey, slow it down, slow it down a little bit, man. You're going too fast. Uh, there was yeah. an email from Eastman saying, look, you know, this is um, these have to be counted today or it doesn't count, which isn't true. And also said, you know, you should, you know, you should definitely be uh, making sure that the things get slowed down. And also, hey, you know what, why don't we just delay the count for like 10 days? You've already messed up the Electoral Count Act a couple of times. What's another little crime? Just, right. you know, delay the delay the certification for 10 days so we can get our S together. Right. But I, I believe that when he when going back to when Trump said stand back and stand by and then tweeted on December 19th, come down January 6th will be wild. And the Department of Justice itself has connected that tweet to the kicking off of the violent extremist groups. And yeah. in order for something to be a criminal conspiracy, you don't have to have met with them in your have a written agreement. You can just be two people who want the same thing, stopping the Electoral Count Act and doing overt acts to, to prevent it. So I think that it's just as much of a crime. And and I don't know if they can get him for seditious conspiracy on that, because I don't know. I don't know what the evidence looks like on the Trump side. But they can definitely do uh, a conspiracy to defraud the United States and obstruct an official proceeding just on the Capitol attack alone. Let's uh, move on with uh, uh, an interesting story out of uh, Florida. Um, this was uh, published in The Washington Post on the 8th of June. Uh, this is, the headline was DeSantis spokeswoman belatedly registers as an agent of foreign politician. This is uh, Christina Pushaw, uh, disclosure of work for Mikhail Sakavsh. Sakavshivili, I think is his Russian name, uh, came after contact from the Justice Department, her attorney said. Um, she's an interesting character. I don't think people really realize who it is, who is the puppet master for Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, he's uh, somebody who's become very quickly increasingly right wing, you know, a kind of far right character, whereas you know, before I think he kind of pay, played the populist card and now he refuses to denounce a Nazi demonstration. Uh, and you know, is is thinks he has the power to take on the mighty Disney. Um, I mean, who, who is this person, and how serious is it that she spent uh, a few years working for the for the Russians? Well, we didn't get any charges, right? What we got yeah. was the Department of Justice poking at her, saying you need to register. But what this reminds me of this this to me is is that like DeSantis is the Yanukovych of right. the South, right? right? Manafort was hired to groom, not groom, but make Yanukovych a likable guy, whitewash his image in the media so that he could be the Russian-backed separatist leader of a, of a reclaimed Eastern Ukraine, all part of the Ukraine peace policy that, that Donald Trump was putting forward, which basically carved up, you know, Donbass and, and Crimea, gave it to to Putin and put Yanukovych back in charge, who had already fled and been kicked out of the country. But that was Manafort's job. And so when I see something like this, somebody who's almost like a Simona Mangianti kind of a character, uh, that is, this is like the Manafort for DeSantis, right? Somebody who like, but we don't yet know 
the connections, if she was directed at all by uh, this Georgian president, uh, who's a Russian a Putin backer, to 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 do anything to groom DeSantis to be part of anything like that. We don't know the the depth of it. I feel like if there were evidence for that, there would have been a 951 charge mm -hmm. or a FARA violation charge, some sort of criminal charge, rather than just a hey you should register. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But it, it's, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at I mean, all, considering the way that DeSantis is behaving. Because, you know, his behavior is unusual, isn't it? I mean, it, there has been, a, if you were to check the graph, you know, there has been a, a, a real ramping up of, of this kind of strongman uh, ideology. And you could argue that it's because he wants to run for president. And, you know, he knows that America likes a strongman. But I, I don't really recognize uh, him. You know, I, I study... Um, body language and, and people's behavior. I love it. I find it really interesting. In fact, that moment when he took to a podium and told those kids off standing behind him for wearing masks, take those things off. They don't do anything. They'd be so ridiculous, you know. He was acting, you know. He was, he was putting on a show there for the cameras. He knew exactly what he was doing. So this is a very calculated person. And, and Florida, obviously, is, is... We're seeing a lot of heat on Florida at the moment for, for a multitude of reasons. But I feel like, um, for me, this Russia connection keeps presenting itself, doesn't it? And I, I still don't think that people have grasped how the 2016 election was so controlled by the Russians. In the same way that the Brexit vote in England, for example, people just don't understand the consequences of you know, the Cambridge Analyticas and all of these organizations behind the scenes who were were involved in, in changing people's minds, not necessarily changing their vote. We're not talking about voting machines being, uh, you know, infused with, with Russian technology, but we're talking about calculated social media campaigns. And we're talking about the people who control the money supply, making decisions, and it all linking back to the Kremlin. So let's just talk about the legitimacy of 2016 for a second, because, you know, if we were talk, to talk about it now, Republicans would just say, well, it's just sour grapes. You know, you, you, you're, just, you're just bitter that Trump won. There doesn't seem to be any desire to get to the truth as to whether or not American democracy is still functioning. I feel like, I mean, what, 2% of us have read the Mueller report? It's all in there. And of course, Bill Barr over-redacted it inappropriately, as found by Judge, I think it was Reggie Walton, who said, you know, you these redactions are inappropriate. And he did that to, to downplay the scope and breadth of Russia's interference. I feel like when we did our uh, first impeachment, uh, or this, uh, was it the first impeachment uh, uh, of Donald Trump over the Ukraine uh, uh, the perfect phone call. The perfect phone call. And we had uh, Masha Ivanovich up there. And I feel like the the Ukrainians were looking at us like, are you new? <laughs> Do you not? Like, yeah. they're, they know, they understand what this kind of interference looks like. And that's why it's it's so important we defend democracy at home as well as abroad. Because we could end up looking like... Russia, what the the way that Putin has stayed in power is through things that Donald Trump tried and failed to do in 2020 in on, on January 6th in 2021. Mm. And they won't stop trying. We just got so lucky that these that these coup plotters are idiots. Uh, we might not be so lucky next time. 
And and I and I that's what I fear is that we're going to end up seeing presidents come in and stick around for 22 years and 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 flood the the airwaves with disinformation to do it and and we aren't going to see it because we're new at it. This is a new, right. like a new thing for it's it. It shouldn't be yeah. because of what happened in 2016. But it's a new country, and and you know countries take uh, take centuries to evolve, don't they? And and there has been a lot of thought and a lot of writing about the fact that you know the American experiment is 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 so new, and and it may not it may not last in its current form, and that's certainly what whatever it was that that um, Putin wanted, sowing division, creating chaos, causing this. I mean the, sh- the 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 shift now between the left and the right. I mean it's it's unrecognizable, right? It's like it's it's it could, they couldn't be further apart. They can't even come together on gun control. You know, nineteen children get executed, and still Republicans refuse to make any changes, even you know repealing semi-automatic weapons. It's not on the table for them. I mean, I mean there is a relationship between the NRA and Russia, isn't there? There's a thirty million dollar relationship at least. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's what that, that's where it's at. That's what we're dealing with now. It's like we 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 effectively have sold out to to Russia. I don't know if we've done it on purpose, but I mean we're the tallest hog in the trough as far as world democracies go. So we have the biggest target on our back, right? Uh, and that's uh, that they're going to do anything to take that down, and and they have, and and of course, UK number two. EU number two, right? We have Nigel Farage, the Cam Anna, yeah. and that whole absolutely, and and of course, we'd like to think that if Steve Bannon ever gets arrested or gets shuffled off this mortal coil, our problems will be over. But it will just be handed down to the next person who wants to to rip us apart, crack us open, and and install uh, autocracy and fascism. We talk about top of the hour. Let's let's talk about uh, fascism for a second because this is something that uh, I, I I refer to it as the F word that Americans refuse to say and it's you know it's 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 not a new concept right this is this is something that we uh, ignore at our peril and you may have seen that uh, I'll flash it up on the screen but you may have seen that kind of fascism early warning signs of fascism document that was produced mm-hmm. that 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 talks about it lists nationalism and disdain for human rights and identification of enemies and scapegoats as a unifying cause and supremacy of the military and sexism and the control of mass media i mean these are the things fundamentally that that are the foundations of of fascism you know, disdain for the intellectual, for intellectuals and the arts, I always found was interesting. Trump hated the arts. He had absolutely no interest in, in you know, funding the arts or, you know, he would, couldn't sit and watch anything. You know, it's like... because he's strongman or untalented. That's <laughs> Right, yeah. I mean, unless it had his name in the title, he wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. And, and then fraudulent elections is the final thing on this list of early warning signs of fascism. And still... Despite this document that has been doing the rounds, people cannot, in America, people cannot make the connection between the four years of Donald Trump referring to the free press as the enemy of the people and the, 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 the creating a level of division and misinformation that made people hate their fellow man. And still people deny that this is a fascist regime. And in fact, Trump even designated the anti-fascists a terrorist organization. I mean, this is a, this is massive. 
it's massive, and yet we're still like worrying about what to order in Starbucks. <laughs> I know, you know, or people know. have more interest in Elon Musk buying Twitter. I mean, this is massive, and yet it, it's there is a denial going on, and mm-hmm. I just don't get it, and I'm fascinated to know why. Well, I, again, I think it boils down to being noobs, and right. then also being egotistical as a country. I mean, we're very egocentric uh, as, as a nation with our exceptionalism and we're number one in USA. Uh, and we are, we refuse to look at history. We do it within our own history. We refuse to face our demons here. Why would we want to go and see what best practices Germany and, and Ukraine have used to try to oust their fascist uh, infiltrators uh, or any other uh, fascist regime that tried to take over another democracy. I mean, that's what fascists do. They try to take over democracies and turn them into autocracies. Right. And we're on but, step But even nine. removing the, the education of, of, of slavery from schools and calling it critical race theory, mm-hmm. that in itself is fascism, it's rewriting hi- history, right? And yet, no one's mentioned it. Indiana Jones movie knows what's next. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I've I've asked people, like, because we all started wondering, like, when when Trump was running, we we started saying, you know, how how long did it take for Germany to fall to fascism? It was fast. Yeah. And we all were like, how could that have possibly happened? Mm. How could they have just, you know sort of been in denial about what was going on and just following orders and well oh you know I'm not really a Nazi but you know I'm just over here having some cheese or whatever and and it's like and then all of a sudden it's like well now we are people still wondering because we're so close and that's what I think these one six hearings need to show they need to illustrate how close we were mm. to losing our democracy but it's likely that the January 6 hearings won't mention fascism either. No, I mean, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's almost like it's a, it's a word that is used to describe other regimes, other countries, but it's never a word that's used to describe America. And I'm very interested in American exceptionalism. We, we did a program on it uh, last, last week with uh, Umair Hack and talking about these, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of this. And... I mean, maybe we should be teaching, instead of critical race theory, we should be teaching about American exceptionalism in American schools. <laughs> I mean, that would, you know, that might go some way to kind of eradicate this this ego that you describe. Yeah, I mean, as long as, like, local school boards being threatened by Republicans would allow that stuff to be taught in a classroom, yeah. insofar as that. I mean, they want to arm teachers with guns, not with books. So, I mean, we... <laughs> We're at we're at a very critical moment where I feel like we're so far down the slope that it might be hard to get back up. Yeah. And uh, we will see what happens. Uh, I mean, I'm going to keep keep fighting. But, yeah, they're not going to I don't think they're going to use the word fascism. I mean, every single thought leader that I talk to on a regular basis, whether it be Wajahat Ali or Mary Trump or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Timothy Schneider, Dr. Schneider. Are, are saying, telling us, don't be afraid to use the F word. Don't yeah. be afraid to say fascism. And uh, I think maybe that idea will catch on. But again, we're noobs. We're slow. Um, 
I want to talk about Kevin McCarthy finally because uh, I saw him being uh, interviewed. Well, he was hosting a press conference and uh, he was, you know, he was asked point blank if Donald Trump should be the legitimate president and is Biden the legitimate president. And the guy refused a, a straight answer. Uh, I'll show the clip here just so that uh, people can see that I'm not fabricating this story in any way. Now, this is not just some you know, backbench politician. This this is the leader of the Republican Party in Congress, somebody who is, you know, tipped to be a future Speaker of the House or whatever. And yet here we have him refusing to say that Joe Biden legitimately won the election. I mean, at this, and in the same breath is criticising the January 6th committee for the work that they're doing. You know, when he is committing this treason out loud, on television, in front of a primetime audience before the hearings have even started. I mean, what, what, what is it about this big lie? How, how is it that it is so important to Republicans to sow this concept of, 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 of confusion? Uh, and I've been saying recently, my favorite phrase of the moment, is that democracy is exclusive to Democrats. And I, and I fear that actually calling Democrats Democrats is, an, um, is unhelpful. Maybe they should be rebranded as uh, Democratic Republicans. But then you've got the word democracy in there again, and then that's not going to help. Republicans have no interest in democracy, it seems. How serious is this? Well, it's very serious. And the point of the big lie is to create uh, an environment, a political environment, that where the people will allow Republicans to make laws that will in turn allow them to disregard the will of the people and and install leaders. Right. That's what the big lie does. It allows the it, it it allows the Republicans to make those laws. Like for example, uh, in certain states they're allowing uh, legislatures to decide make the final call as to who the electors will be. We, we've seen this elector scheme with John Eastman and, and it, it's, you know, it's in the law. Hey, no, you can't just decide in, you know, in your state, it says you have to go by what the votes are. You can't pick your own electors uh, after the votes are cast. And they're actually making laws that will allow that to happen just to overturn the will of the people. And by spreading the big lie, you are getting a certain percentage, enough of, of a percentage of people to believe that there are problems with the elections, that it's totally fine with you if your state legislature picks your leaders instead of you. Because That's the partisan that. element goes deeper than just who's on the, on the ballot. It actually goes down to, well, people are thinking, well, if they are Republican legislatures and then they're picking and choosing, then that's going to fall in my favor because I vote Republican. And so, you know, they will look out for me. And, and so we're better off this way. And what they're effectively doing is they're not just cheating on the election on the day that it is ratified in, in, in the Senate. They're actually cheating at elections throughout the entire process at every level before even people cast their vote. I mean, we're seeing that in Florida with, you know, a team of people knocking on doors to elderly people and saying, oh, well, we're just checking that you, we've got you registered correctly and then changing their registration. Sign here, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sign here, exactly. And keeping their finger over the over the, the section of the text. Um, 
finally, let's. I, I, I always love a prediction. I failed in all my predictions, but I'm very keen to see where, where you sit on this. Uh, I, I personally think that not much will come from this, uh, these hearings. And I, I also think that Trump will live to see another day in the White House. I, I can really see this happening, which is worrying because he's going to have a vendetta against anybody who's ever wronged him. And the, the fascism will be greater and more powerful than ever before. And, you know, gassing his own people in, in, in the street will just become a daily occurrence. You know, disappearing people off the streets of Portland. Well, that'll just, you know, happen on the streets of Washington, D.C. Frightening. Frightening. So that's my that's my fear. If you were to make a prediction about these televised hearings, the results of the investigation and the future, because, you know, currently with gas prices this high, inflation this high and the war in Ukraine and coronavirus, Joe Biden's got a lot on his hands. And it's very easy for uh, Republican lawmakers to turn around and say, well, when Trump was president, Gas prices were two and a half dollars. There was no war because, you know, he was we were he all at home Putin. and we didn't have jobs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they they'll won't mention that bit. Inflation was manageable and, and COVID wasn't as bad. They can say these things and it sounds very, very convincing. And that is my fear is that, you know, all of these things will be weaponized. The facts are irrelevant. Sure. Biden doesn't have the strength to fight back against these facts. He's not agile enough to, you know, to answer these types of questions. Yeah. And we will end up with a Trump administration. Well, the midterms come first. Right. And we've got another two and a half years, almost three years before we have to talk about another Trump administration. But my prediction is right now about 52, 53 percent of Americans think that Donald Trump should be held responsible for for January 6th. I think when there were when Americans are repolled after these hearings, you might see it go up about three to five percent maybe get close to 60%, maybe, uh, which is a good job, honestly, because the yeah. Mueller report, 0%. Nobody <laughs> changed nobody's mind. <laughs> All that work. Despite that my work. very hard-working yeah. podcast, yeah. 0%. Um, so I think, I think it'll tick it up uh, quite a few points there. Now, with regards to the future, uh, I think the Department of Justice will indict him. I, it might not come until next year, um, but I think that they will indict him and um, Eastman and perhaps others, uh, d depending on who. I think that'll happen. I don't know if he'll be convicted or not or go to jail. And even if he is convicted and goes to jail, that doesn't necessarily stop him from running for office again. And a conviction or an indictment might energize his base, but I still think that it's necessary to, to help with accountability and deterrence in the future. Right. Uh, I mean, we saw, you know, what happened, Hitler went to jail and, and came out and became Hitler. So I, the future, I don't know. I think that depends a lot on what we as Americans allow to happen in our communities and our local governments and our school boards and uh, our city councils. Okay. Well, here, you know, hope springs eternal. I am I'm grateful for your prediction. And I, I, I hope that it's your version and not my version. I don't want my version. And I also have a theory that the only reason Trump is running or, you know, is likely to run, he hasn't announced it officially, is to prevent him from being prosecuted. 
You know, it's like I'm either going to, you know, be prosecuted for all of this stuff or I'll just become the president and then it doesn't matter. Yeah, but that doesn't uh, really stop them from prosecuting. Uh, It's just a 60 day window uh, around election time. I think that that indictment will come before. But, you know, my my outcome doesn't necessarily prevent fascism either. Yeah. I just want to be clear about that. It's just kind of what what I hope happens in the near term. If we if what if that doesn't happen, fascism comes faster. Yes. I can tell you that. Well, thank you for using the F word so appropriately. Uh, you're, you're one of very few. Uh, Alison, I appreciate your, your time and I appreciate your podcast and everything that you do. Uh, that's Dr. Alison Gill of Muller She Wrote. I'm Anthony Davis. Don't forget to subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast. And also the 5-Minute News Daily Podcast, which, which drops every morning so you can listen whilst you make your morning coffee. And leave an iTunes review, please. Join me next Sunday morning with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on the 5-Minute News Weekend Show with Midas Touch. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.